0: To populist, I'm Steve Hafer, and with me, he's the Garfunkel to my Simon. It's Kirk Trutner. How you doing today, Kirk?
1: That's the sound of silence. Just kill me now. Hello, darkness, my old friend. Hi. How you doing, Steve? I'm good. How are you? (laughs) Hey, everybody. Welcome to Populous. This is episode 16, and we are going to be talking about the best board games of all time today. Mm -hmm. And I had a lot of fun with this one. I know we always say that, but man, this took me back to my childhood. This was a lot of fun thinking about those games that that we used to play and still play.
0: It is. And I got a little lost going down the rabbit hole trying to find the pictures of the game that I remembered from back in the kid, the the board, because the games tend to change a lot over the years and so forth. And you're oh that's the one. That's the one. Um I thought it was gonna be easier <laughs> than it was. So I thought, oh this one would be great, but it's like, ah oh, dang it. Here we go again. Yeah. This might be our most subjective list. I mean there's always a little bit of subjectivity to the list, but I think absolutely but I know you and I both really try to frame things on our list about what we really think is the best, you know, and whatever in you're going to throw your own little personality, but I felt a little more on a couple of my choices creeping in on this one.
1: I mean, every list that we do, I think has, you know, amounts of objectivity and subjectivity, and they vary from list to list because there are some lists we do that do have more objective kinds of measurements. This one I think is just purely, these are the games that we have played that we see others that have played that others have said are, are great games. Um, and again, uh, as we say every week, an embarrassment of riches, really hard to narrow this one down.
0: Yes, exactly. Um, when I was trying to break down my parameters, the f- things that I tried to look at included um, like sustained popularity uh, for the game, uh, overall gameplay, you know, how does the game play? Um, and does it make you think while still keeping a, a, kind of a high fun factor, for lack of a better term? Um so I kind of just try to use that, but like I said, you, then you just get subjective because uh, there, there's even one game in there that I'm going to refer to as my one of my comfort foods of games. But I know it's still a popular game too, so I wouldn't be surprised if it's on your list also.
1: I, you know, I did the same thing. I tried to find some some criteria to go with. You know, I wanted to find games that were. Truly replayable, you know, enough variety. So the outcomes are not predictable or repetitive. It can still surprise you. Um, Good balance between strategy and chance. Mm -hmm. Um, Easy to learn, difficult to master. You know, I, I don't need a game that's got an instructional manual the size of a phone book. And for you kids out there, a phone book was a really big book way back in the day. <laughs> um, and and uh, almost all the games I'm going to list uh, are ones you'll you'll find at a pub or at a coffee house or or brought to game night with friends. Right, exactly. Um, these are the games that have just maintained that popularity. So that that's that's kind of what a, the lens I look through to to get my top ten. Yeah,
0: and may I add that I kind of alluded to this just a second ago, but most of these games have changed over the years. But I gotta say that a lot of the changes aren't necessarily to better the game. You know, it's the marketing department coming in and trying to, how do we repackage it? How do we make it look more modern to sell? And once again, I think a lot of the time the company's overreach, and sometimes the original version of the game is great then okay maybe you got to bring the graphics you know out from the post-world war ii era into something a little more modern yeah the cosmetics yeah that's updated yeah but you stop pandering toward short attention spans or whatever give people the benefit of the doubt that they'll come to
1: you and they'll play the game if the game is good you know i've noticed in, in some of the research i did there are some of those games like you've talked about where they they slowly change the the game mechanics over a period of time to try and you know, quote keep up with the times, and I agree with you. I think the original game is probably the best, but there are a couple that are on my list that actually have these newer versions, and now the earlier versions are getting re released as the classic yeah, version, retro, of the right? Exactly. Kind of like the Coke and Coke classic kind of thing. Yep.
0: Well, now I'm uh, even more excited to get into this. Uh, I think this will be fun. I'm I'm dying to know what you have. I'm going to set the over under at six and a half this time. I learned my lesson last time because I usually predict correctly (laughs) or very close, but then I don't know how to set the Vegas odds. So I'm going to say six and a half for the over under. What do you think?
1: I'm going to say. And this is for us matching. Yeah, I'm going to say under. I'm going to say under. Oh, OK. I'll take you over.
0: I'm going to say but, under that's because I'm actually predicting seven. So uh, all right. Very good. But before we start, let's get into our first segment, which is the unlisted segment. Um, what what games are going to be unlisted on your list today?
1: Um, I you know I, I create a small little sub list to be my unlisted. Uh, I call them the three C's uh, on my list. You will not see checkers. You will not see Candyland, which broke my heart not to put it on there. I mean, this is a, this is like the first game every kid learns. Um, if you read up on the on the game, it's actually got a really nice origin story about being created in a hospital to help sick kids. Um, so I'm I'm bummed the Candyland's not on there, but it's not. And then uh, I'm going to alienate. The the latest generation of game players, uh, Settlers of Catan, or the Catan games, are not on my list.
0: Ooh. ooh. Uh, things that are unlisted on my list will include The Game of Life, a uh, big-time classic, uh, Operation, and Twister. None of those tried-and-true loved games will be on my list. But Kirk, I went first last time, so you'll go first this time. So let's start it off. What is your number 10
1: board game? Number 10. My number 10 uh, made it into the Toy Hall of Fame in 2010. Um, And who would have thought that all the trials and tribulations of adult life would make for such an entertaining kids game? But. My number 10 is The Game of Life, uh, released by Milton Bradley in 1960. Uh, It's colorful. It's easy to play. Kids can feel like adults. I mean, it's kind of funny when you think back on it now, when you used to get excited about, I got a new car, there's a new kid on the way, you know, at age six and, you know, you say it at age 26 and it, it creates night sweats. Uh, But yeah, it it was, (laughs) it was things you can't say today. (laughs) It was, it was a colorful game. As I said, um, unique mechanism to, you know, twist the, the, the dial in the middle, as opposed to rolling a dice. Um, It did give you options. I mean, you weren't, you weren't kind of, uh, you know, sent down, a, a on rails on the game, you could choose one way or another, a job or a career or going to school or, or any of that. So there were some options, Um uh, that had variable gameplay. It, it was just a lot of fun as a kid. Um, and again, you know, this is a game that started as the quote checkered game of life in 1860. So it's been around a while. So my number 10 game of life.
0: Yeah. Great choice. Uh, very good choice. I'm going to move right ahead to my number 10 because um, the game of life was in this spot a day or two ago, um, and it changed out. But I did want to recognize a game that was really designed with young kids in mind, uh, because I think that's important in the game world. Uh, I know Candyland is very popular, but I couldn't go with that. I decided to go with Chutes and Ladders. In my mind, it's just a better game. Uh, it originated in India um, as a game called uh, Moksha uh, Patam. I'm probably butchering that pronunciation. Uh, then it became Snakes and Ladders. And thank God they changed away Because, I mean, how many nightmares <laughs> was that potentially giving people? I think Shoots and Ladders is a much more appealing title. Uh, it was a Milton Bradley game from 1943. I hate ladders. <laughs> I have a fear of ladders. Um, it just it helps kids. It teaches kids. Counting and basic gameplay uh and like the game of life it helps kids learn about decisions i mean you see the good deed that you do helps you climb the ladder higher in the board and closer to the you know to the winning zone uh that bad things that the kids may do sends them down the chute and they have to you know like if they break a window then you go down the chute and you see the kid reaching into his piggy bank to pay for the window um uh, you know, you mow a lawn, uh, and then you go up the ladder and you get to do fun things. Uh, you smuggle cocaine, you're going to do hard time. Oh wait, that may not be in the game, but you know what I'm saying?
1: That must be the latest edition
0: of the game. <laughs> it's fun. The lead can change a lot, uh, which makes it unpredictable. It's a great game. Shoots and ladders. Shoots and ladders from Alcatraz. <laughs> <laughs> they they got to do a,
1: a hard time game for kids. <laughs> exactly. Good choice. I, I really didn't want to put one of those kids' games on there. I just just couldn't do it. Although I'm going to say that and my number nine is is going to belie that. So why don't I get into my number nine? Let's
0: do it. What is that choice? Number nine.
1: My inner eight year old also chose this game, and that is uh, still to this day the reason I love Rube Goldberg contraptions. Uh, And that is uh, the 1963 classic mousetrap from Ideal Toys. (laughs) Nice. Uh, There's nothing more satisfying as a kid than to put this complex machine together, then activate it and have it work perfectly. I mean, and let's face it. The game, quote unquote, is just a delivery system for this ridiculous contraption. So kudos to the creators for figuring out some sort of plausible gameplay to, to go around it. It was one of the first 3D games that came up off the board, relied heavily on props. Um, I would say it's safe to say without this game, you might not have had other prop based games like um, Hungry Hungry Hippos, Rock'em Sock'em Robots, Battling Tops, and um, in 1963, it was rejected by every toy company on the planet. Ideal finally picked it up, and it sold 1 million copies. So it's been popular since day one. It continues to be popular. It's still out there. Um, so Mousetrap is my number nine. Yeah, uh, I just had a freaking love affair with that game. <laughs> it was so great, but...
0: You know, half the time the damn contraption didn't work and there's little adjustments you had to make. Uh,
1: that's what made it so satisfying
0: when it did. I know, but I loved love the little mice and the little pieces of cheese. It was great. Um man, I forgot about battling tops. I love that too. That was, it was great. a great game. That was great. <laughs> uh all right. Well, good good choice. And uh yeah, it pained me not to put it on there because that is definitely another one of those warm, fuzzy, comfort food games. Um. Absolutely. My number nine is kind of <laughs> that also. It's definitely comfort food, and it's a particular favorite around our household, both when I was a kid and now that I do have kids. And that's the game Sorry, uh, from 1929. It's 92 years old now. <laughs> it was created by uh, William Henry Story of in England, uh, adopted by uh, Parker Brothers, and based off the Indian game Parchisi, which became Parcheesi. and it's it's very similar to that. But I love sorry uh, I know I'm a little biased but I I love it because the gameplay is easy to pick up easy to learn it's all determined by the special game cards players can gang up on each other to uh, get the leader out of that spot and make things more uh, even keel on the playing field. Somebody can come from far behind, and you can still win the game. Leads change all over the. It's unpredictable. It's fun. It's uh, you can you can play the game in you know thirty to forty minutes, no problem. Uh, it's great for a rainy day. I love it. It's sorry.
1: Just missed my list. Eh, maybe not just missed. I you know I have not played sorry in a while, but but my recollection is it it to me at least it felt like the same game over and over again. There wasn't enough variety in it uh for me um so it didn't stick with me um so it's why it's not on my list, but uh you know sorry
0: yeah and that's that's where I will disagree because i that's one of the things I do love because it will it changes all the time as far as you not being able to hold your lead necessarily or you know trying to come from behind or you,
1: well sure, if you and the boys are ganging up on Sean,
0: <laughs> that has happened before, I must admit.
1: Come on, boys. Let's go knock your mother down a few pegs. Get the sorry board out.
0: <laughs> uh, let's move on.
1: What is next for you? Number eight. My number eight has its roots in a World War I French game. And who would have thought we'd be saluting the French and war and a game at any given point in time. But the uh, game was called Attack. If I'm pronouncing that right, I hope I am. Uh, but Milton Bradley in 1967 turned it into the game Battleship. Um, again, you know, I talked about simple to learn, hard to master. You know, that's Battleship. It's it's a very simple concept. You put your boats down and then you guess where the other boats are on, on your opponent's board. Um, again, a very simple, you can learn it in five minutes. Um, but then you got to play it a few times to try and figure out what works best. How do you how do you hide boats? How do you not hide boats? What, are, what do people typically call out when they're looking for it? So there's strategies you can learn. But again, easy to learn, hard to master. Uh, but it's also one of these games that can travel everywhere. And who didn't go over to a friend's house when they were 10 years old and didn't see Battleship in their game closet? Everybody had Battleship. So that's why uh, it's on the list and it's on the list at number eight.
0: And to you, I say B8, I sunk your placement of this game. Yeah, it is way too low, dude. It is a great game. I'll be talking about it later. Ooh. (laughs) My number eight, my number eight is one of the games that you mentioned didn't make your list and in coming clean here, I have not played it. I've only watched it being played, but there's no denying how popular the game has been over the past few decades. And that is Catan, which used to be known as the settlers of Catan uh, was created in 1996, 25 years old. Now uh, created by Klaus tuber uh, German um, 32 million games have been sold in over 40 plus languages. It's, it's a popular game. Uh, it's been adopted all around the world uh, as something fun to do. It's um, has an array of expansions, additions and spin-offs. Uh, Catan Traveler uh, seems to be one of the most most very popular versions. It's designed for three or four players. Uh, Ten years uh, old and up can play it. Uh, It's a good strategy and resource management game. Starts off easy. Players compete for resources and later... Uh, every dice roll has an effect for all players. So it's not where you're just sitting around and you're waiting for one person to take their turn. Every single dice ro- roll gets people different resources, which is integral to the game. There's a lot of voice interaction and you know smack talking going between people. It's short, it's quick. For a lot of novices and regular people, the game plays about 30 to 50 minutes. If you're really good, it can be 20 to 30 minutes. So you can just play it wherever you are, get it done, get into a new game. It's the Catan
1: and, and I'm I'm in the same boat, and and I'm probably being hypocritical by not putting it on the list. But I have not played it either. I haven't even watched it being played, um, you know, in person. I've seen videos of it. I tried to look at, at some of it, and and I don't know. It it, it didn't appeal to me, and and I'm i I'm, I'm going to fall back on the on the uh, mea culpa that I'm looking for the best games and not the most popular games, um, and that is my my stance, and I'm sticking to it.
0: Yeah, well, I'm going to actually get to try it next weekend for the first time. Uh, Some friends of ours uh, have it, and they're they're bringing it over. So uh, I'm looking forward to that.
1: Oh, good. That'll be fun. We'll we'll look forward to your report on the next uh, show.
0: Yeah, and then we'll have to do another episode. I'll say, okay, I'm changing my list. I'm taking it off. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) All right. What is your number seven?
1: Number seven. Number seven is the perfect family strategy game. I think it's the first kind of more complex game that we all learned, and that is uh, the 1957 Hasbro Classic Risk. Uh, Very simple rules to the game, but incredibly complex interactions. And the more people you get in the game, the more complex it gets. Um, We talked about a game needing to have variety and replayability. I think this game has it in, in just... It's magnified, you know, how how different this game can go, especially not only with the variable of what's going on in the game, but how many players are in the game, what version of the game you're playing. Um, I knew friends in high school that used to just play this ad infinitum, uh, you know, betting on it. I mean, you know, really almost bastardizing the game in a certain way. But it is it is certainly the most complex, I think, game that's on my list, and I in my opinion, without risk, we don't have the settlers of Catan or Catan. We don't have Pandemic. We don't have Ticket to Ride, Axis and Allies, or a whole bunch of more complex, larger board games. You know, as well that that forces you to think three dimensionally instead of just what's directly in front of you. Uh, again, we talk about games that are on rails. You know, like shoots and ladders, Candyland. Sorry, to some extent, but risk can go anywhere, and I and I think that that's the popular or the the uh, appeal the game that, that has made it as popular as it is. So for me, number seven is Risk.
0: And you took a risk putting it that low on your list. Uh, <laughs> I agree with everything you said, but I have much higher esteem for that game. Um, yeah, but boy, talk about one of the most influential games and this begetting that, begetting that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I definitely concur with that. Um, my number seven is a game that, I kind of feel about the way that most of America had felt about soccer for years and years and years, (laughs) the rest of the world and most of the world loves it. I'm indifferent about it personally. And that's the game Scrabble. Uh, I give it complete kudos for how important it is and how many people actually play it. You know, it's been sold in 121 countries and 30 different languages over 150 million sets sold. Um, there's approximately 4,000, something like that. Scrabble clubs in the world. Uh, they hold tournaments. It's a big, big thing. And I acknowledge that word games like that just kind of frankly bore me a little bit. It's not my, oh yeah, let's get people together and play Scrabble. That's not what that game does to me. Um, it's great for squabbles for what's an, what's a, an acceptable word. you know, how many people start digging into dictionaries and sources and stuff like that. Uh, it's coined phrases like triple world word score and stuff. It, it was even a TV show. Was it not? Yeah, no, it was, I think NBC in like the mid mid eighties had a, scrabble tv show for a while yeah Uh, i know it was inducted into the national toy hall of fame in 2004 so where it may not be something that just grabs my attention all the time i recognize its importance and it makes my list at number seven
1: i will give you a word point score of nine that's what the the word point score of wrong is because scrabble is much higher on my list all right and i'll talk about that in a little bit
0: but but before we get there let's talk about what's next on your list.
1: Number six and number six. I've got a game that is that is puzzle solving at its finest. I mean, who doesn't love sussing out the crime and playing detective uh, before others can figure out who done it? Number six for me is Clue uh, introduced by Waddington's in the UK and and Parker Brothers here in the United States in 1949. Um, It does rely more on logic and reasoning than the other games that are on the list. Uh, There are definite strategies. Involved with it. And, you know, again, we look at what begat what. You know, without Clue, I don't think you'd get something like Mastermind, another game that didn't make my list, but is obviously, you know, continues to be a very popular game. Um, Clue to me, I just thought had very colorful characters, very colorful scenarios. It was really fun to see it brought to life on screen. Uh, with some marvelous comedic actors, you, you kind of got it. Got the 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 old yeah. murder mystery feel uh, of the game. They captured it very well. Um, great variety of the game. Great replayability to the game. Uh, they've got a, a billion different variations on it as well. Uh, but Clue is my number six.
0: I agree with everything you said. Uh, it was fun to watch the movie, but I got to tell you, don't you think if it wasn't for Tim Curry? And his character, which is not in the game, that movie could have been atrocious. Uh, Tim Curry was the glue that made that thing happen, Uh, especially at the end, as they're summing up everything. They're running from room to room, and he's explaining his theory about what happened.
1: Yes, but I also thought it was a unique idea to have three different endings. Yeah,
0: I, I had forgotten about that. Yeah, you're right. Definitely very smart on their part. Good choice. Uh, I will be talking about that later as well. My number six is a game that anybody can make a reasonable argument that it could be anywhere in the top five, top six and actually anywhere. I think your argument would be sound. And that is the 15th century game chess. Uh, when you've been around for 1500 years, (laughs) there's something that the game is doing right. There's some appeal about it. Um, It's uh, the quintessential abstract strategy game, Uh, head to head competition, even strength, even playing field. Uh, It's a great test of skill. It's a great, great method to pit two people and their, their brain power against each other. Um, Casual games can last from 10 to 60 minutes. Uh, Tournament games can go from 10 minutes to like six hours. Uh, There have been countless books written about it. Uh, Columns in daily newspapers used to be dedicated just to chess and, Uh, Computer games uh, have been hugely popular for this. Uh, I remember that there were scientists used to build computers to try to beat the current reigning world uh, chess master. And then uh, there was the uh, computer in 1997 called Deep Blue that finally beat Garry Kasparov. And that was a a big thing. Um, The game's not attractive to everybody. Uh, Not everybody gets turned on by this, but uh, it's... Regaining popularity with the younger people, which is cool to see. Uh, there's something classy about the game too. So there's a, there's a whole lot to like about it. It is intimidating. I will say that. Uh, I've been intimidated. I have a couple friends who are really good at it. And I just, I go, no, 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 no. <laughs> I will not play chess with you. But it's a great game. Chess makes my number six.
1: I have just taken your queen because <laughs> it's much higher on my list. And I will talk about it a little bit later on.
0: Yeah, it could. And I think if it had a bigger universal appeal that it would have been higher on mine. Uh, but I think it does intimidate you know, a good amount of people. Anyway, let's move on. What is your
1: number five? Number five. Well, my number five is probably the oldest game on my list. Although I I did reveal that chess is on my list as well. So, you know, not knowing the exact dates of these games, but um, my number five is Backgammon. Um, if you've ever been to a beach house or a lake cabin where there wasn't a backgammon set there, I mean, this this game was prevalent uh, as I was growing up in the 70s and 80s, and it's still very popular today. Um, I'm going to go back to some of the definitions I talked about It's relatively easy to learn, very difficult to master and it's just enough chance from the dice to make it interesting and replayable and give it all the variety that, that you would want um, It's the only game on my list where gambling is not only encouraged, they even provide a little cube to <laughs> help it along. I mean this is this is a game that is it really does pit people against one another it's like heads up poker um it really is a mono on mono kind of thing but with again just enough variety uh to make the game that it isn't the same feel like the same gameplay over and over again and you know we've all seen the small little magnetic cheesy versions that you can take on an airplane and we've seen the deluxe gilded sets they use in casinos in backgammon parlors it's popular all over the world it's popular across uh different economic strata different uh uh peoples and places and and it, it's just a game that is endured so that's why it's on the list it is backgammon and it is number five
0: it's a great game just missed my list uh it's probably my wife's favorite game um in fact i gave her a new set for christmas this year uh it is fun like you mentioned with sorry i feel the same way about backgammon that i start to see similarities in play uh Sometimes, but that's maybe just because my wife and I play and we both are very similar. She's gotten me much better. She, she was much better than I, uh, but now my game has been elevated and it's just, it's a little the same, but love it. Love to play it. Uh, love the fact that travels easy and all that great game. My number five is, uh, one that you mentioned a little earlier, and that is the 1957, uh, strategy game risk. Um, and in eight an innate human characteristic is world domination. So why wouldn't you like this game? You get to, you get to take over the whole world and there's no negative repercussions for it. And nobody will hate you afterwards. Well, hopefully nobody will hate you afterwards. Um, it's a great strategy game of a diplomacy conflict conquest for two to six players. Uh, you make alliances, you backstab and who doesn't like all that power. It's a lot of fun. Um, the original games had colored wooden cubes. Did you ever see the original set uh, before they started making the plastic things? They were just little oh, brightly yeah. painted wooden cubes. Oh yeah. Uh, I loved it. My uncle had a set uh, that he gave to me uh, after he was done playing it. Um, it inspired great games, like you said, like Catan and Axis and Allies, and some of the Avalon Hill bookcase games, which I'll talk about later. Which are a couple of those are actually my favorite games on the oh, planet. Yeah. But Talk about intricate, talk about involved instructions, and that's why I don't think they're for everybody and they aren't on my list. Um, The game used to get criticized, (laughs) meaning risk, for its inaccuracies in geography, but to their credit, they always seem to make corrections as new versions come out. However, I still believe that New Zealand is still not on the map. (laughs) It's not part of the Australia-Oceana area. Um, it's fun to play with friends, uh, unless you get knocked out early. Uh, my dad, that the night that he decided to propose to my mom was, they were playing with a group of friends and he was the first one out. So he had like two hours just to sit around and get up the gumption <laughs> to go ahead and ask her to marry him. Uh, so risk, <laughs> I owe a lot to risk, I guess. Uh, many new versions have come out like the Napoleon version, risk 22, 10 AD, Lord of the Rings, Star Wars. So they're always in reinventing themselves and trying to market themselves to uh, find a new audience. And I hope people do find it. It's a great game.
1: I really hope the Lord of the Rings version has New Zealand on it. <laughs> yeah, that would just be wrong if it didn't. <laughs> that, would be, that, would be, that would be bad. That would be bad. Just a
0: big picture of Peter Jackson right there. <laughs> Let's move on. Getting into the Mount Rushmore. Mount Rushmore.
1: Who's the first face of your board games? Number four. The first face on my Mount Rushmore, number four, is a game that you mentioned earlier, um, and that is Scrabble, uh, Toy Hall of Fame 2004. Uh, for me, it's it's a game that, that gets better as you play and get better. Um, it is very, very skill-based, but with just enough randomness with the letter draw and the luck on which tiles you land on and how you play all of that, That makes the game to me so special. I love word games. I think that's where you and I might differ a little bit Differ a little bit. Um, I was trying to find a way of calling boggle a quote board game, but I couldn't really do it. Um, I love boggle. I love Scrabble. I love crossword puzzles. So that's why this game really speaks to me. Um, I've, I've loved Scrabble. You can learn it as a kid. You can play it all the way until, you know, your, your last breath. It's, it's one of those timeless games. There really hasn't been a whole lot of rule changes. There really hasn't been a whole lot of cosmetic overdues on it. Um, I think the, you know, it, it's an elegant game, you know, very much like chess you were talking about. Um, so uh, it's one of my favorites. I had to put it on the list and, and it found its way into Mount Rushmore. So Scrabble is my number four.
0: God, please tell me you're not going to play that on your last dying breath. Uh gingivitis triple wars triple worth score <laughs> and going out. That's you gotta go out with it as well. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but you'll get style points for that, but yeah, 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 yeah. Um, I think the best invention that Scrabble had is when they made the lazy Susan board that you could turn yes. <laughs> easily back and forth.
1: Yeah, if that's the only major innovation or renovation to your game since 1938, you know, you had a pretty co- solid concept right off the bat. <laughs> yeah, absolutely.
0: Um, my number four for my Mount Rushmore is game that you mentioned earlier, and that is battleship. And you said it all. You, you, I love the way it travels. I love the, the easiness to pick it up when you're young. Uh, it's fun with the little ships, you know, the, to place um, it's, exact origins are a little murky, but it was known as a pencil and paper game back during world war II. Uh, soldiers used to just get paper and draw, uh, the hexes and graphs and they'd write where their ships are going to be. And they play that way. And then it spawned into a whole bunch of different things. The original board game, electronics, video games, apps. Uh, and it seems that most players, game players have played this game at some time. Like you said, you find it at friends houses. It, uh, you know, it, every game is a little different depending on what your strategy is. Uh, and it's great head to head competition. And I love the anxiety that you feel when you're at the end and you and the other player about at this exact same point and you're bat, you're hitting the last ship and you're just praying, Oh my God, I hope I take the sequence in the right direction. Otherwise you're screwed. You know, <laughs> it, it's, it's a lot of fun. It makes for a, a lot of great time a great way to spend a rainy day for sure. Number four battleship.
1: I think my, my opinion of Battleship also may have been collared by one game I played as a kid where I had the brilliant, genius idea of storing all of my ships in one upper corner, figuring <laughs> that's 80% of the board. That what it didn't occur to me was once they figured out what I was doing, it narrowed the board down to like a four by four section, and I just got boat raced.
0: And it probably came on something like they call two shots and going, well, that's interesting because you can't put the boats diagonally. So hmm,
1: (laughs) that was exactly it. And so my, my little like nine-year-old self is crushed knowing I'd never be a, you know, naval strategic genius.
0: Meanwhile, your opponent is in their head going, Mr. Smithens fire at will. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) Uh, That's great. What is uh,
1: your number three game? Number three, my number three. As I look back over my list, my number three is actually the most recent of games uh, on my list, and it is still turning forty years old next week. So, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of showing my cards here and and really relying on my my younger self to help build this list. Um, this game is probably the simplest of every game that's on the list, and and of all board games. Essentially, you roll a dice and you answer a question. That's it. And yet it is still one of my favorite games and one of the world's favorite games. And that is the 1982 classic Trivial Pursuit. Um, feels like a game show. Everybody loves Trivial Pursuit. Um, the gameplay remains consistent, but the game content is always evolving, which allows it to remain fresh and new. Uh, I mean, there's over 50 different modules at this point. You know, you started with... Genesis one, then there was Genesis two, and now there's Star Wars, Star Trek, Harry Potter, sci-fi, all kinds of different modules as well. So it keeps the it keeps the the material not only fresh but current, so that each succeeding generation can get into the game. Uh, I love Trivial Pursuit. Uh, I earned a nickname off of Trivial Pursuit uh, with some friends of mine uh, who tried to gang up on me one night, um, but it absolutely belongs on Mount Rushmore. So it is my number three, Trivial Pursuit.
0: When don't you have a bunch of friends trying to gang up on you? That's just kind of your life story. Anyway, uh, yes. it's a great choice because my number three is also Trivial Pursuit. Uh, created by Canadian Chris Henry. It's, uh, I think, the best of the adult board games. I think you just mentioned uh, Hall of Fame in 1993. It sold well over 110 million games in 17 different languages. Uh, I love it because it's got the six different categories of questions. And there's always that one category that you inevitably keep trying to avoid (laughs) until the end of the game. You just don't want to have to deal with it. Uh, But I love all the special editions that have been created over the years. Uh, The Junior Edition, All-Star Sports, Baby Boomers, Silver Screen, Disney, uh, the decades of the 80s and 90s. So there's a lot of different ways to keep this game fresh, and there's thousands of questions in every game. Um, you always have your favorite categories. I know you like, we just talked about the strategy, uh, but it, it helps build reputation. Like you said, your friends would gang up on you. Sometimes you got a good reputation. Sometimes you got a bad one with this game, but it's fun to play amongst friends. It's a great game to play sober or not. Uh, just tons of fun. Pursuit.
1: You know, there's, there's a very, uh, uh, a not very well-known theorem that goes along with Trivial Pursuit. And that is essentially, if you're the person who suggests playing it, you're the one that gets ganged up on.
0: <laughs> I, I could see that being very true.
1: Yep. Yeah, yeah. I love Trivial Pursuit. I'm glad we both have it on our Mount Rushmore. It's it's absolutely well-deserving.
0: Yeah. And you and I have played many, many times back in the days in the eighties and the early nineties and uh, with some of our friends and always a good night lot of fun
1: absolutely and as a public service announcement don't use shot glasses and shots as the guys you move around the table <laughs> yes it gets really hard at the end of the night oh so ugly what is your number two number two my number two i i go from the simplest game on my list to to probably one of the most complex it's a game you talked about earlier uh the 15th century classic chess um I don't think there has been a single game that has been more romanticized than chess. It has been used as an allegory for several different things. It's been featured in films, uh, you know, from Russia with Love featured a great chess scene. The West Wing featured a great chess scene in television. Harry Potter used chess uh, in the books and in the films as well. Um, It's an intellectual game. It's a thinking man's game, which is why I suck at this game and I don't play it in (laughs) any opportunity i get absolutely thumped i can think maybe two or three steps ahead and one of those steps is when do i get my next beer i just i'm i just cannot play this game i cannot i avoid it um i would rather play sorry than play this game um but i recognize it It, there there's an importance to this game there there is a a generational there is a a intellectual component to it Uh, i love the fact that that something like deep blue was created because it it not only showed what advancements could be made in in artificial intelligence but prompted it along the way to keep going so it's had its impact outside the game arena as well chess is a magnificent game it's a romantic game i love watching it I think, I think it's an incredible game to watch and, and each time I watch it, I try and tell myself, learn something this time. And then I, I get lost after about five moves, but I am in sheer admiration of those who can play it. Uh, so chess is, is my number two.
0: Yeah. And it's, it's, it's definitely part of the, the fabric of, uh, human existence. And like you said, it gets shown in, uh, Television shows and movies. I mean, I think the big chess sequence, the wizard's chess sequence in Harry Potter, is a hugely popular scene uh, amongst the Potter fans. Uh, the West Wing episode, where he's the president is playing simultaneous games against Sam and Toby, and he keeps going back from room to room and they're having conversations that they play, is a fantastic episode. Great stuff. Yeah. My number two um, is probably still on your list, uh, and that is the classic Monopoly. 1935, 86 years old Hasbro game, uh, created by Lizzie Maggie, uh, probably the most recognized American game, uh, around it's derived from a 1903 game called the landlord's game. Uh, it's a perfect blend in my mind of risk and luck with a little strategy mixed in. Uh, it's a great training ground, uh, to become a cold, uncaring mega corporation or a slumlord. (laughs) You got to have a training ground. um, (laughs) But a fun, fun fact, uh, during world war II, uh, the British secret intelligence service, I love this uh, story. Fake charity sends special additions to prisoners, uh, and being held in war camps by the Nazis. The games contained compasses hidden maps, real money and other objects that might help with the escape. So i loved love that that game was used, uh, to try to help spring prisoners from the, uh, prisoner camps. Um, The game is always looking to improve play, uh, adding to special editions uh, like the speed die or the optional house rules. uh, New consumer uh, suggested game pieces uh, that have been added over the recent years. There's a lot of specialty versions uh, of the game uh, featuring films or the heirloom edition. Uh, It's just a great classic piece of Americana sitting there on a board. Uh, A good time for families to come together. That's my number two, Monopoly.
1: Excellent choice. Uh, You are right. It is still on my list. I will talk about it at number one in just a moment. But why don't we go back and take a look at what our 10 through twos are before we get to our number ones? Yeah. What are your 10 through twos? My number 10. I mean, again, this is a fun list. I had a a great time putting this together. Number 10, The Game of Life from Milton Bradley in 1960. Uh, Mousetrap, the the Rube Goldberg-inspired game, was number uh, nine. Battleship, number eight. Risk, Number seven clue was, uh, or clue do as they Mm -hmm. say in England was, uh, number six backgammon, uh, from the 15th century was number five. My Mount Rushmore began with Scrabble, uh, then added trivial pursuit at number three chess, number two,
0: my 10th or two started with, uh, the kids game shoots and ladders, uh, followed by sorry at number nine. Uh, Catan at number eight. Scrabble was number seven. Number six was Chess. Uh, number five, Risk. Battleship at number four. Trivial Pursuit also at number three. And Monopoly at number two. And that brings us to, oh, just by the way, we have matched on seven. So ding, 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 Steve wins.
1: <laughs> I, I saw that. I saw that. I, we got off to a great start. Yeah. And I thought, I got this in a bag. All I need is one more.
0: I know my Kirk. Anyway.
1: <laughs> then you turned into the Lakers and won 33 in a row. <laughs> what is your number one? My number one is your number two, and that is the board game Monopoly. How can it not be? Um, I don't think there isn't anybody I think you can name who doesn't know how to play Monopoly. There isn't anybody you don't know who doesn't have a favorite strategy. Should I buy all the railroads? Do I just buy everything in sight? Do I ignore boardwalk and park plays and buy all the the lesser priced properties? Everybody's got a strategy. Uh, this is the perfect combination, again, of skill and chance. Um, as you said, it was created by Lizzie Maggie and then and then uh, built into the game. That we know today, Monopoly. But I love the fact that the most popular board game in the world was originally based on to explain the single tax theory of economist Henry George. Um, so I, you know, it wasn't like they said, "Hey, let's create a game." This was really kind of an illustrative point rather than a a, a fun pastime. Um, I love all the little trivia that that's built into Monopoly as well. You know, you mentioned all of the various versions there are. I love the fact that the values on the board, the prices, the, the rents, uh, the, you know, what it costs to build a, you know, all of that were actually based on the real real estate values, property values of 1930s Atlantic city. Mm-hmm. You know, I think we all know that these are all streets that were named after Atlantic city, New Jersey as well. Um, I think Monopoly is just one of those games that, that has been ingrained in us from, from the word go. I used to joke that every new house in the 1970s came with a free copy of Frampton Comes Alive and Rumors. <laughs> um, I think they also came with a copy of the board game Monopoly. Um, everybody had it. Everybody played it. Um, it's just one of those games that that is, is pure Americana. So Monopoly uh, from Parker Brothers 1935 is my number one.
0: And a very good choice. And I love how it's woven into the fabric of our lexicon and our society and everything. Uh, terms like the get out of jail free card, you know, is used for just everyday conversation oh, yeah. as, as a metaphor for something. And I love how everybody has their favorite token, uh, the, the game piece and which has changed over the years. And some of the street names have changed over the years too. Uh, I know Martin Luther King Boulevard is in the, the games now. And uh, oh yeah, one of the Atlantic, or like Atlantic, Boulevard or something like has been removed because it's gone in Atlantic City.
1: That Oh, yeah. They built a casino over that whole block. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Right. 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 So I, I love that sort of stuff. And FAO, FAO Schwartz has built games with gold leaf lettering for the street names and gem precious gemstones and for the colors on the board and stuff. It's like that's insane. But that's that's how crazy people are about the
1: game what better game to reflect capitalism? Yes. (laughs)
0: Like I said, it's a true American game. (laughs) Exactly. My number one is one that you've mentioned before, and I'm not debating that Monopoly probably should be number one, but this is where I told you my subjectivity comes in. And this is the ultimate comfort food game for me, and that is Clue. And I'm also glad that it is a, just a very good game. Uh, as we've mentioned before, I think you go into your friends' houses back when you're young and you find copies of Battleship, Monopoly, and I think Clue is the third one that was in most households for sure. Uh, you mentioned it was called Cluedo in uh, the UK. Uh, it's a Parker Brothers game, then uh, Hasbro took it over. It's fun. It's just a, a suspenseful murder mystery game. You know, who doesn't like acting out things from your head. If you've read Agatha Christie or Sherlock Holmes books, you know, you feel like you're there doing the the sleuth thing uh, takes about 45 minutes to an hour, usually uh, for three to six players, uh, you know, really allows you that inner sleuth to come out as you're trying to solve the crime, but it's still a competitive game of suspicion and investigation and accusations. Um, and the race to find clues, you need to read the other paper, uh, people's personalities, the, the other players, you know, how do you get them to show you the information that you need? So, you know, you can, uh, get the accusation and the correct summation done first. It's just a lot of fun. It's great to, you know, play the different characters. I think everybody has a favorite character. I was always a Colonel mustard guy. What about you?
1: I, I, I mine also was uh, Colonel mustard. I love the story about, he was the only character who was changed from a pure color to something that was yellow, mm-hmm. because I guess the uh, original creators of the game, you know, given the military aspect, felt yellow represented cowardice. So they didn't want to say yellow. So they right. said mustard instead. Right. Um, but, you know, anytime you put a, a colonel or a general in front of somebody who's a detective, you know, I'm, I'm kind of drawn to that. So, yes, I was always a big fan of, of Colonel Mustard.
0: Yeah. I always loved it when, uh, one of my sons would bring his friends over, and they wanted to play one night. And they they all grabbed the the male characters, so I had to go all Miss Scarlet on them. But it was, I was a damn good Miss Scarlet.
1: <laughs> I'll bet you are. You know, you could almost look at Clue as as one of the first, if not the first, escape room kind of games. Yeah. You know, gather the clues, figure it out, and be the first one to the end. Yeah. You know, as opposed to to the competition of where's your man on the board kind of thing. This was really about puzzle solving as the pure game mechanic, you know, much like escape room. So I can see why it's popular and and why escape rooms are popular. Everybody loves to solve puzzles. Absolutely.
0: Well, great lists. Um, What were, uh, let's get into Unlisted, the sequel. What are some of the other honorable mentions of games that uh, came close?
1: Well, you had mentioned one, Operation uh, was, was, in consideration and then i was doing everything i could to find room on the list for two of the cheesiest games ever invented but i could not find room for masterpiece Mm -hmm. or mystery date (laughs) i mean
0: (laughs) my friend's sister was a huge mystery date person
1: it, it, you know, it, you know <laughs> what the hell were these games? But they were popular. Masterpiece was actually pretty good. There, there was some fun gameplay there, yeah. um, but it is yeah. pretty much been yeah. forgotten. But anybody of a certain age, if you say mystery date, you can not only remember the game, you can remember the commercial that the game had yeah. of the, the kids opening the doors and such. So, yes, mystery date. The misogynistic mystery date is what <laughs> did not make my list.
0: That's great. Uh, Another game that just missed for me was Stratego. I loved Stratego. Yeah. A good strategy game, the old-style military stuff. Um, Then I mentioned the Avalon Hill games. uh, Third Reich, uh, which was an amazing game, but it's so complicated to learn. But uh, Axis and Allies is kind of the newer, a little more simplified version uh, to a degree. Uh, But Backgammon, the game Sequence, which is a easy but fun game, uh, Mastermind, which you mentioned, and Man- Mancala, the uh, the stone, the pebble game. Uh, always like that. And oh, I yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I used definitely, to play that in
1: elementary school. It was called something else.
0: Yeah, there's a bunch of different African root names for it and stuff. Um, and then I really want to check out uh, some of the newer games like Ticket to Ride and Pandemic. Uh, the more and more I read about those, uh, I just definitely want to try them out. They're supposed to be great. Man, I wish we lived closer together. We could do game nights. I know. That'd be fun. That'd be fun. Yeah, it would be. We have to take a little break, but we'll be right back. And when we do, we will have our guest list and this week's special guest. We'll see you soon.
1: Okay, show of hands. Do you stick around for the credits at the end of a movie or a TV show? You might, but most folks don't. And even then, you might not be familiar with half the jobs on there. My name is Bruce Rand Berman. When I came out to L.A. a while back, I found there was a lot more to this industry than I realized. With the help of some great friends and mentors along the way, I've been able to chart my course to where I am today. An experienced television producer doing a podcast about all the different jobs there are in Hollywood and how to get them. So check out Call Time on your favorite podcast platform. You'll hear all about the industry straight from the mouths of the real people who work hard every day and night, in the trenches on set, and in the office. Yeah, this is my podcast, but it's your call time. Don't be late.
2: Hello. Wait, what?
0: You haven't heard the new podcast, Mojo Girl Madness? Good news Season one is now available for
2: binging mojo girl madness is a mad pod with interviews rants and stories about sex relationships family divorce politics showbiz and mostly your mojo find mojo girl madness wherever you get your pods or at mojogirlmadness.com and now back to the main event love you madly
0: And we are back, and now it's time for the guest list. And joining us today on the guest list is our first international guest. He's a journalist who's evolved into a nonfiction author and scriptwriter of and renowned games expert. He's written the book "It's All a Game: The History of Board Games from Monopoly to the Settlers of Catan," as well as "Replay: The History of Video Games." Feral Cities, Adventures with Animals in the Urban Jungle, and Fizz, How Soda Shook Up the World. I'll be buying that one, by the way. Uh, (laughs) He writes scripts for the podcast (laughs) Business Wars. Uh, The next one comes out in about a week and focuses on the race between the drug companies to deliver vaccines against COVID-19. Sounds like very interesting and timely stuff. He writes about a lot of topics, but we have him here today from outside of Brighton, England, and that is Tristan Donovan and he's going to give us a viewpoint on British and European uh, games and so forth. Tristan, welcome aboard.
1: Hey, Tristan. Thank you. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. I hope you can settle an important question for me. Is
2: it Catan or Catan? Catan, I think. Um, so I, I, I have met the guy who made it, but I can't actually remember exactly how he pronounced it, but I, I have Catan in my head. Uh, I, this is one of the problems when you sit down and you you actually write, write books. You don't need to pronounce any of the words. There's any When someone asks a question like that, it's like, actually, <laughs> I don't really know how to pronounce that. But I, I've always said "katan." It, I don't know. I think it sounds clever. <laughs> don't, don't,
1: yeah. Well, you're the expert, so we're going to call that. That's gospel. That is now canon. <laughs> Katan. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. I, I think I'm sure I went all American pronunciation on that, which is not necessarily the best thing on. Uh, typically, American game manufacturers uh, tend to create and market a lot of games with gadgets and big bold colors. Does that differ a lot from the UK and the European style games?
2: Well, it definitely differs from the European style games. So the games are kind of really kind of came together in Germany. Um, You know, the the UK's done things like Clue, but it's been a much less of an influence on the board game scene than America and Germany. But Germany had a very different style to the Americans. Um, So, I mean, if you look at 20th century games, which, you know, they they were very competitive. Um, They often had people being eliminated. um, Lots of very complicated rules sometimes so if you get to games like fortress america it's an axis and allies great games but quite complicated for lo- lots of time to play and the germans kind of went well we're, we're going to really streamline this no one gets chucked out because that's unfair on them um we want better cooperation between people and, and so they kind of moved that dial really with games like Catan Catan (laughs) we're going to use um and those kind of games have really kind of set the tone for the games that are coming out now and being made all over the world whether it's America or the UK or Australia or wherever kind of we're we're kind of following the German template these Mm -hmm. days are we in
1: a silver age of board games right now yeah, if if we look back and 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 you know the 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 old standbys, our favorites, the clues, the risks, the battleships, etc. If we look at that as the golden age, you know, is this is this a silver or a bronze age of gaming with with Catan and, and all the other big box complex games that are coming out?
2: Yeah, I think I think it's a, something of a it's a very different type of golden age because I mean, there are a lot more games coming out. I don't think we're ever going to see it. Many games sort of. Gain that kind of monopoly or life kind of status ever again. You know it. T- you know I, I guess it's that twentieth century versus twenty first century difference that we're seeing it across all media. That in twentieth century we had this shared experience. Everyone played this kind of Scrabble. <laughs> Everyone had played it because that was one of the twelve games that were around. And and now there's probably twelve games coming out an hour. Um, so right. we are in kind of one of the best times you know game design of for board games is far better than it used to be there's lots of great games coming out but there's also a lot of games coming out so you know the idea that you can kind of really keep on top of everything that's coming out is quite hard so I, i think part of the reason we think this is a fantastic time is because we're probably only looking at the 10 percent of the iceberg that are really good and there's probably lots of games that we haven't heard of sort of under the radar that are probably not that great and no one's really missing them but (laughs) it's a good creative time you know lots of ideas kind of flying around
0: right and it seems like at least in america there was a lot of the big companies uh you know, Parker Brothers, Milton Bradley, so forth. And they definitely, sorry, play on words. They had the monopoly on that industry. And then <laughs> lesser known companies like Avalon Hill, to, to say one, you know, broke in and they had their series of book bookcase games. That, And then it seems like there's many more smaller companies that have really found a niche for themselves in the market. And I think maybe that's helping to contribute to the plethora of games that we're seeing coming out at a, at a, at a faster pace than what used to happen
2: yeah and i mean if you look at it kind of um avalon hill wizards of the coast um parker brothers you bradley ideal toy they all ended up part of hasbro in india you know Has- hasbro be- basically became sort of like a black hole and kind of sucked the entire american board game industry into it and you know that the, they do do it well but i guess for everyone else it's like well, we're we're going to do board games we've got to do something different we can't really go well we're only going to put out a game if it's going to get into walmart and sell half a million copies a year i mean not many games can do that hasbro can do that but not many others so i think that that's why you see kind of lots of different companies now trying to head down a different path right right you know when you look back at, at
1: the games we talk about that the, i mentioned earlier that the, the the risks the monopolies etc in terms of entertaining the family, they were one of maybe five or six options back in the 60s, 50s, 60s, 70s. Today, games really feel like they have to compete not only against games of all different stripe online or the, these new more complex things, but there's so much more out there that can occupy people's times. What brings people back to board games? What, what is that thing that, that differentiates it from all the other kind of shiny objects that are out there?
2: I, th- I think it's a social interaction. I think that's something nothing else quite does anywhere near as well. So um, let- let's take video games. Yes, you can play a video game multiplayer online with someone somewhere else, and that's really convenient, but it's not the same. It doesn't matter how much you know the person. You you don't see the kind of look in their eye. You don't see the body language. You don't get any of that with with a video game is kind of lost and you know i like video games they have plenty of good points but they don't have that and board games do you know there's not that concentration and share kind of intimacy that um you get in social situations i mean now for example if you go down the pub you know people chat but some some people look at their phone and everyone's slightly distracted but to play a board game Everyone has to concentrate. Everyone has to be there in that particular moment, interacting face to face. And I think there's relatively few things now that kind of are that commanding. And it's one of the reasons people generally play board games a bit less. But I think it's one of the big advantages they have that when people do sit down and play it, it's quite hard for people to kind of go, Well, I'm kind of there, but I'm also checking Twitter or my. F- instagram or whatever you know you have to be there paying attention and interacting with the people with you
1: you know it's funny to to bring that back to a real world kind of thing we're all going through right now it's almost like the difference between an in-person meeting at work and a zoom meeting at work i mean if you're in person with people you can read body language and you can look at everybody and see who's paying attention who's not but with with you know, meetings to your point, you know, you can, you can take your shot off the screen for a few minutes, check something out, head out, get a bite to eat, come back. You know, there's not that connectivity. It's a really interesting kind of uh, parallel.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we're we're doing this on video and we, we can't make eye contact. You know, we can see each other's eyes, but we can't actually make eye contact on this. So you that that's kind of missing. And that's, you know, we're, we're built to be face to face, you know, that's kind of how evolution's made us. So, you know, it's something that, you know, something is lost when you don't have that.
0: Yeah, I agree. But I love, I've had the experience where I've sat down with either family or friends uh, in the past, you know, five, six years to a board game, which is not the norm anymore, like you said, but then there's that feeling that comes over the majority of the people like, oh yeah, I really used to like this. And the, there's something tangible about it. It's almost that field of dreams moment, you know, where they grasp onto some of the old feelings that they used to have, uh, and uh, it's it's cool to see.
2: Yeah, COVID has been been ruinous for my board game playing because um, my my partner's not that into board games. So right. the the people I play board games with, it's like, well, we can't. It's actually not really the greatest thing in the middle of COVID. I'll, I'll, we can't go around to each other's house and playing outside and. British winter is just not an option. So, um, yeah, it's kind of curtailed my board game quite a bit this, this pandemic.
1: It sure does give us something to look forward to. Uh, that, yeah. that, is, that is for certain.
0: I have a question. Um, you obviously know a ton about the world of board games and everything, but what were some of the board games that captured your attention first when you were younger? What were the things that made you kind of fall in love with board games?
2: Oh, there's so many. So my, my family, we, we used to play board games every Sunday after dinner. So it was kind of like a family ritual. Yeah. And I mean, Monopoly is the one that really sticks in my mind. We played that a lot. And my Dad was always the banker. My dad always won and never seemed to run out of money. You know, it's. I, I think looking back now, um, as an adult, it's like yeah, that that was a dodgy bank. Um, but, you know, it's it's sort of one of those things that kind of remember a lot. Um, it, it's prob- I don't think it came out in the US. There was a game called Lost Valley of the Dinosaurs um, that came out in the UK, which I really loved. And it's I mean, it's basically kind of you have this volcano you had to go get some treasures and lava would start going across the board and there was like a toy pterodactyl to come get so i, I kind of loved that but board, board games were always around. Right. oh sign me up <laughs> yeah it's it's a great game I mean, well i remember it as being a great game i I don't have my copy anymore so uh, it could be one of those games that you oh it was brilliant when i was eight <laughs> maybe it's not now but maybe it is <laughs> i
0: don't know that sounds pretty cool i have to find it one day.
2: <laughs> that's exactly the way
1: i felt about mousetrap yes <laughs> eight-year-old me thought it was genius
2: <laughs> yeah M- mousetrap is the perfect example it's like oh that's so good i don't play it and i was like this is one of the worst <laughs> It doesn't even work.
1: <laughs> Steve and I were talking about a game called battling tops. I don't know if you've ever heard of it, but it was essentially a, a small little arena where you could send a spinning top into battle. And we both went, Oh my God, we totally forgot about that game. <laughs> and I know full well, if we tried to do it again, we'd be like this, this, this occupied us for hours upon end. Yeah. <laughs> this?
2: Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, it is amazing sort of now to look back on sort of some some of these games. I, I remember playing a lot of um, P- Parcheesi. Um, and it's like, mm-hmm. God, re- really would I kind of play Parcheesi over and over at this point? How how could it keep me entertained for so long? I don't, don't really know. But, I mean, there were less options back then. You <laughs> know, I'm, I'm 45. You know, it's like there, there were only four <laughs> TV channels when I was growing up.
1: I feel
0: you. Right. <laughs> And part cheesy, there must have been something right because between that and sorry and trouble, you know there's all these variations of the basic same game, so there's there's something that works with it, so yeah, yeah. now tell me um are are games like well chess obviously, but games like Mancala and go and mastermind uh, are they big in uh Europe and the u k
2: um Mm, not, not so much. I mean, people are aware of Go, but don't play it that much. I I think Mancala would, you know, probably if you're a kind of African community, you might play it a mm-hmm. bit more. I don't think it's really kind of spread in to the wider population. Um, yeah, so it ha- has been... Yeah, neither of those games have quite broken through. We're kind of aware, but mm-hmm. it's... It's not like something that I kind of see on the shelves very often. It's um, I'm not quite sure why. It's, it tends to be sort of chess, checkers, backgammon, even though no one knows how to play that. <laughs> um, it's kind of, you know, backgammon is a game that everyone seems to have but has never played. <laughs> um, so there's, yeah, so the classic games are kind of around, but it's those ones tend to be a bit overlooked, I think.
0: What about Mastermind?
2: Mastermind, I remember, I, I've actually never played Mastermind to, to my shape, um, but I, I remember that seeing that around um, in the sort of 70s and 80s, so I, I do think that was quite popular, but it, it's not one that my family ever got, so I okay. never actually played yeah,
0: it. Yeah, did, it did a little better here in the States than I thought it would, but yeah, I get you.
2: So, Tristan,
1: before we get to your list, how do you define a board game? is it the literal definition of a board that you play the game on or is there, is it more of a genre of a feeling of how the game is played?
2: I, I think the board element has to be there to some extent. And, and that's quite a broad thing in itself. So when I, when I was doing the book, I mean, one of the earliest things I had to think about is, um, you know, our card games part of this, and there is a lot of, blurring of the lines you know it is a very fuzzy border between card games and um, board games Um, so in the book I do touch on Pictionary which you know really doesn't have a board it's pencil and paper game and kind of version of charade so I've been a bit liberal on that but and I also look at things like um, Hungry Hungry Hippos and go, well, that is actually a board game. It's mm-hmm. a very different type of board game, but it's still got that kind of flat playing surface. So I guess I kind of use that as my my sort of woolly definition. But it, I, I guess a better term is tabletop games. I think, you know, it, it's a continuum and it's quite hard to kind of go, this is the line and anything past that is not a board game. So, I mean, if you take a game like Resistance, I mean, it's really a, one of those werewolf-type um, social interaction games, but it's got a little board for scoring. Right. So th- does that board qualify as a board game? So I think there is a blurry gray line. I, You know, we, we kind of want to compartmentalize things because it makes it everything easier to understand. So... I I guess kind of, we know a board game when we see it, I guess, is kind of my feeling on it. It's kind of instinctive. It's like, oh, yeah, that's a board game. That's a card game. We we tend to sort of know.
0: Yeah, I think we kind of have the same definition. Uh, I went when I was making the poll for the website. That's kind of how I was breaking it down. And it's like cribbage. Uh, You know, I was going, well, it's got the board, but that's really just a method of keeping score. There's nothing that really has to do with the the playing of the game with that. So then, you know, I eliminated that. And so I think we were kind of on the same lines. Well, that sounds all fascinating. And, uh, we like, we like your take on this. I'm anxious to hear your list. Let's get into that. Right. Tell us about Tristan Donovan's yeah. list starting with your number 10.
2: Right. I'm going to start controversially <laughs> with Monopoly Empire. So, <laughs> um, Monopoly obviously become a kind of game that kind of, board game connoisseurs kind of look down upon but monopoly empire um, is a twist on it and it basically strips out all the excess it's very fast very very cutthroat <laughs> um it's essentially you buy billboard space and basically people steal your billboard signs that send you to jail for insider training it's basically sort of monopoly embracing it. it's kind of Cutthroat Capitalism, <laughs> and it works so much better. It's a great game that, you know, I think people have missed because it's Monopoly.
0: I'm writing this down right now. In fact, I have a feeling in your list I'm going to be writing a lot down. So, <laughs> Monopoly Empire, that's great.
1: Yeah, so let's get to it. What's number nine?
2: Um, Survive Escape from Atlantis. So, I think this, is, this was originally, I think it was in the 70s. It came out possibly under a different name. Um, essentially, you you own, you control a few people on the island of Atlantis as it's sinking around you. So the pieces of land on the board are disappearing and you've got to get your people to safety. Um, obviously, oh. the other players are trying to get their people to safety. And so it becomes this sort of bonfire as you're battling for boats and trying to push other people out into the way of sea monsters. <laughs> so, I mean, it's got that kind of nice balance of you can help people sometimes, but also kind of elbow them into harm's way, kind of, you know, that friendly kind of, you know, doing each other over the board games off, often <laughs> does quite well at offering.
0: Now, is that a uh, is that a British game or a German game?
2: I think it's American originally. Oh, is it really? Um, okay. Because it's quite an old game. I think it was early 70s, maybe late 60s, but it was an American game. Oh, okay. Interesting. What about your uh, number eight? Eight, um, backgammon. So, I... I grew up not having a clue what backgammon was. It was just a weird triangular thing on the back of the chessboard. Um, And when I did the book, I finally played it. And it is this amazing balance of luck and strategy. You know, it's like literally 50-50 and it's got enough strategy, but enough. that it's always feeling fresh um it's not like you can become a completely superior player and just wipe the floor with other people like you can in chess and it's a really good game there is a reason that game has been around for many hundreds of years it's Mm -hmm. well worth playing Mm -hmm. i love it i love it
1: i loved it more because it was on my list
0: (laughs) 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 what's your number seven
2: no, number 7 scotland yard so this is um a german game i'm not quite sure how is it is it widely known in the us
0: um i have heard of it i've never played it i don't think i've ever seen it to be quite honest
2: okay so es- essentially one player is um the criminal on the run through the streets of london the other players control policemen so basically the the players who are the policemen don't know where the other player is they basically map out where they're going Uh and so it's basically this kind of chase where you're not sure where the criminal is but you're trying to entrap them and close in on them um and the other player is trying to sneak out without getting caught and because neve quite knows what the others doing it's kind of you get these moments of tension where it's like oh god if they've go to this street i'm gonna get caught or you know it's like it, it gets very tense where you're like oh i've just managed to slip away i was so lucky so I, it's, a, it's another great game
0: i'm circling that one also <laughs> that sounds great
2: <laughs> yeah we should
1: have had you on a lot earlier covid would have been a much more pleasant experience if we'd had all these these games and this information <laughs>
2: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so what's your number six Well, number six, and it had to be on the list, is chess. Um, It is one of the ultimate games of all time. Mm -hmm. Um, There is so much to learn about it, so much variety, so much skill. I mean, there is a reason people have written hundreds upon hundreds of books about it. Um, It it is a fantastic game. Um, It is a pure skill game, um, which you know ha- has its pluses and minuses you know if you're against a player who is better at chess than you you're gonna lose yeah. um so it I, th- I think that's the thing i would say is the floor in chess that you really do need to play against someone at the same mm-hmm. level as you otherwise it's not quite as much fun as it should be
0: yeah i was going to start a club of uh people who have just had their self-esteem wiped all over the floor by somebody else in chess
2: can I join?
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm the treasurer.
2: <laughs> All right, five down, five to go. What's your number five? Number five is Pandemic. Um, so theme's unfortunate at this moment, probably not yeah. the kind of theme <laughs> drawing you in, or, or maybe it is. I mean, it depends you move. But um, brilliant cooperative game. So, I mean, when I was growing up, there was no such thing as a cooperative game. The idea that, the people around the table be playing together as a team to try and beat the game. is is a really new and fresh thing. And I think pandemic does it the best out of all of them. It's a, it's a fantastically cleverly designed game.
1: It's fun. I've actually played it surprisingly enough. Oh, okay.
0: Yeah. Cause I've read about it. I definitely want to try it. It's on my list. Yeah. What about number four?
2: Cosmic encounter. So this is another kind of, I think seventies American game um essentially uh you are trying to take over the galaxy you you have this i mean it's got i can't remember how many maybe 50 cards of different alien races each one with their special power and basically you go around trying to destroy the others and take over the galaxy it's kind of like risk in space <laughs> but it, it's also got this element of diplomacy of you know that game yeah. In there as well, where you're kind of doing alliances with others, like well we we'll team up and have a go at them. Um, but of course, you know you're thinking, but I've got to backstab you at some point. So you know it it works really well, and the variety of different alien races you end up playing means it's always slightly fresh. It doesn't kind of go, oh yeah, it always plays out the same way. It's like oh my sort of new skill or something bizarre I've never used before that I've got to try and mm. work out how to use. So yeah.
0: Okay what's what's number 3
2: So number 3 is go um the ancient chinese game Oh okay essentially like like chess pure strategy game um now on, on the face of it it looks much simpler it's just kind of lots of lines and you just put down one piece and that piece never moves and the idea is just to encircle the other player but it, it it's so much more complicated and deep in its strategy than chess is i mean it doesn't look it on the surface but you know if you like strategic games it is something you really need to play because there is a reason it took 20 more years for computers to work out how to play that game than it did for chess
0: <laughs> oh wow i saw a couple of people playing that it was on a video but they were like speed players or something and i could not even grasp what the concept of the game was but they were they were moving at a quick pace it was it was fun to watch but i had no no idea what was happening what's uh number two on your list
2: ticket to ride so we we talked a bit earlier about the kind of new style that sort of started in germany and has kind of spread and ticket to ride is for me the perfect embodiment of what contemporary games are like, um, but also done in with a nod to that sort of family game tradition that America's always had. And that's why I think it's it's probably one of the kind of classics of the modern era of board games. Um again, no one gets eliminated, you're not sure who's won until it's over. Um it's got just the right balance of luck and strategy to it. And I mean it's also about kind of putting down trains which appeals to my geeky in a soul you know it's like oh train lines uh-huh. building train lines across america this is great absolutely um, so you know it, it works for me on <laughs> many levels.
0: yeah i've read so much about this game and it's number one on my hit list of new games that i want to try uh it sounds great
2: so all of this has led us to so the the one I'm gonna pick out is Twilight Struggle, which um I, I was in two minds about choosing this because it's it is a fantastic game, but it is also a war game. It is compared to everything else I've mentioned, it has a complex rule book that's I mean it, it looks more intimidating than it is, but it it does take quite a lot of work to plow through it and understand how, how the games work. But Um, It's a Cold War-themed game. One player is the USA, one player is the USSR, and essentially you're trying to win the Cold War. And you get cards which kind of trigger different events, you know, real events from the Cold War. And basically the whole whole thing of it is the cards in your hand, they're always bad. (laughs) They're always going to do some good for your enemy. And it's all about playing... A bad hand of cards, well, ah. is, is essentially what is going on. But
1: That's interesting.
2: Yeah. And I mean, I'm a Cold War junkie, so I was like slightly biased towards it. But it, it is really tense because you have these moments where, you know, events can kind of slightly get out of control. And there are ways that nuclear war can be triggered without either of you wanting it to happen. So you, you have this kind of like, well, if I play that now, are they going to get too much of an advantage? And, and you really get a sense of the kind of paranoia that drove the Cold War with it. So I mean, it's it's a fantastic game. I just need more people to be willing to sit down and read the and <laughs> play it with them.
0: That sounds intriguing. I, I love that. That sounds great. Twilight Struggle. Okay, I got another one. Well, that's awesome. That's a great list.
1: It is. I, uh, you know, I, I love the fact that that the three of us don't overlap too much. Steve and I do, but the three of us really don't. And it, it just goes to show you the spectrum of of great games, old and new, simple, complex, classic, uh, brand new. It's awesome.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's tough putting together a, a list of ten. There are so many board games out there, and such high quality around that. It, it is quite difficult to kind of go, oh, well, this one shouldn't be there. I mean, the Stratego, I, I love. And it's like, oh, if it was, wasn't so slow at the start, I would have probably put it on the list. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's So, you know, you have this kind of on, ongoing fight. There's just so many games out there that we. I guess we've given people a, f- a few to start off with.
1: Yeah, yep,
0: that's that's our pain every week. It's tough to nail things down to the top 10 list. Well, thank you so much. Uh, what's next for uh, Tristan Donovan? What What do you got in the works?
2: Well, um, I, you, you mentioned it earlier, but um, I'm sort of work, working for, on scripts for the Business Wars podcast. Um, so I've got one on the kind of competition between the um, drug companies to make the COVID vaccine. Um, coming out quite soon. Um, I'm also updating my book on the history of video games because it it is ten years old now. Um, oh so I, I wrote it in the time when smartphones were new. <laughs> um, so um, I, I have some catching up to do on that. So th- those are my kind of two main things at the moment.
0: And just to remind the viewers that uh, or the listeners, that's called Replay: The History of Video Games. And that's the one that he's working on now. Yeah. Thank you so much. We we appreciate your time and uh I guess giving us your input. It has been such
2: a pleasure. Absolutely. It's been great to be on. Thanks for having me.
0: Well, hopefully we'll touch base with you again sometime, but uh, stay safe and uh, find people to play those games. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you too. Really. Take care. Be well. All right.
0: Oh, well, that was awesome. Uh, it was nice to have our first international guest <laughs> all the way from the UK and... Uh, Thank him for doing it because it was much later there for him than it was uh, for us here. He had a lot of cool insights. I liked it a
1: lot. Yeah. Hopefully he's on his way to the pub now. (laughs)
0: Let's hope
1: the socially distant pub.
0: (laughs) Exactly. All right. Well, that brings us to our next segment, which is
1: the populist, the
0: populist. It's, uh, the time where our listeners get to have their voices and opinions heard. Uh, our listeners are awesome. We know that, but uh, just got to say it again because they completely smashed the record for voting uh, this time around. We had a our biggest turnout ever uh, this time. So nice job, listeners! Thank you, thank you. And your reward is very few ties on this week's populist. We have three ties of just two two games each on the ties. So. The listeners have spoken, and they say that number 10 on the populist list is Catan. Uh, number 9 is a, t- a tie between Twister and Backgammon. Number 8 was Scrabble, the word game. Number 7 was Shoots and Ladders. Woohoo. Number 6 was the other kid's game, Candyland. <laughs> so people are having fond memories back when they were kids.
1: Or one of our listeners' son got their hands on an iPad. <laughs>
0: Uh, number five was a tie between both of our number ones. That's funny. Clue and monopoly tied for the populist. Number five, number four was a tie between risk and chess. Number three was trivial pursuit. Number two was Stratego and number one was battleship. That's good. Nice list listeners. Uh, it was a good populist. It was, well, that was fun. That was a good episode. Uh, I enjoyed doing that. Um, and once again, that was a listener-suggested uh, topic. Uh, Paul Durbin, one of our uh, oh, that's right. Thanks, friends Paul. of the show, one of our listeners, suggested that. Yeah. So uh, that was the first time we've uh, taken a listener suggestion. So keep them coming, everybody. That does it for this week. Uh, and for this episode, we only have four more episodes less, left here in season one. Dun-dun-dun. Can't believe it. It's flying by. But uh, the end is near for season one. And uh, join us next time when we do uh, best best picture winners just in time for the Oscars. Uh, you can visit our site at populistpodcast.net uh, to vote on that. The poll is up for you to say, and the Oscar goes to, <laughs> you can do that by voting for your top 10. Uh, please subscribe to the show on whatever platform you listen to us. Uh, the subscriptions are very important for us. And uh, we'd like to know how many of you are indeed listening. So subscribe, subscribe and tell a friend.
1: And those platforms include Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon, Google, iHeartRadio, Pandora, or wherever you go to get your quality podcast. Populist is a member of the Buzzsprout community, and Populist is a vintage year production. That's right. You can find
0: out more about the show on the website that I mentioned earlier, populistpodcast.net, or you can follow us on social media on Facebook. We're at facebook.com slash populistpodcast. We're on Twitter at populist underscore pod and Instagram at populistpod. Well, thanks for listening, everybody. We uh, appreciate it. Love doing these shows for you and we look forward to next time. So we'll see you soon.
1: Thanks again for all your support, everybody. Please stay safe. We'll see you next time. Stay safe. Bye-bye.